Hello, and welcome to the All Things Hadoop podcast. I'm your host, Joe Stein, founder and principal architect of Big Data Open Source Security, LLC. This is episode 22, a talk with Patrick Hunt. And now, on to the show. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Patrick Hunt. Patrick is an Apache member, uh, very involved in the incubator projects, and a Zookeeper PMC and committer involved in other Apache projects. Uh, welcome, Patrick. Hi, Joe. Hi, everyone. Great to be here today. Thanks for, for inviting me. So, Patrick, how did you get involved in Hadoop? So, I was at Yahoo for about five years, and, and for the last two or three years that I was at Yahoo, I was working for Rainy Data, who was the chief architect and eventually became the CTO of, of Yahoo. And Doug Cutting also uh, was reporting to Rainy at the time, so I kind of like got involved with, with Doug from that perspective. Um, but we were looking at using uh, and, and further um, getting people to use within Yahoo Zookeeper. So uh, the Yahoo research had kind of come up with this idea uh, of Zookeeper, and we wanted to operationalize it and make it something that the rest of the company could take advantage of. So there were a lot of ad hoc ways of doing coordination on these very large distributed systems that we were building, and we were trying to provide a facility that would be common across all of them. So so that was Zookeeper. Uh, we worked on Zookeeper for a while. We open sourced it actually on SourceForge originally. I think this was in about 2006, if I remember correct, or maybe it was 2008, actually. I think the project essentially started in 2006. In 2008, I think we went to SourceForge. And then about maybe a year later, we moved it to Apache as a subproject of Hadoop. Uh, I was running the Zookeeper project, uh, the team within Yahoo, uh, part of the uh, part of the grid team that developed uh, Hadoop, and um, we basically open sourced it on on Apache at that point as a sub project of Hadoop, and then a couple of years later it went to be a top level project at Apache. So that's kind of how I that's the background in terms of how I got started with it. That's uh, great. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Solar and the Solar project and what uh, what that's all about? Sure. Um, so. A while back now, we identified that our customers, so this is Cloudera customers, were, would, would really be able to take advantage of search capabilities. So they were storing a large amount of information in HDFS. Uh, they were starting to store a large amount of information into HBase as well. The information that they store in HDFS tends to be sort of machine generated in a lot of cases. Um, the information they store in HBase tends to be record-oriented. So we wanted to provide a capability where they could do all the things that they were already doing with Hadoop, so MapReduce jobs, you know, Hive, Impala, et cetera, types of jobs, but also be able to take advantage of search capabilities on top of that same data within the same cluster that they're already using, they already have set up to, to do that. So as a, essentially yet another multi-tenant workload, another set of capabilities that they could uh, use on top of the data that they're already capturing and on top of the framework that they already have. So if they have Sentry for Hive, so that's the security framework that we recently open-sourced with Apache, uh, it provides authorization-level controls. If you were using that already, you'd probably love to be able to use that with something like Search as well. So we have, for example, Sentry integration as part of Search to provide authorization uh, at the Search level. So our customers are storing their information in, in Hadoop, and we provide the capability to go ahead and uh, index that information and then run queries on it, uh, on top of it. So that's sort of the Cloudera search side of things. And we knew 
we wanted to use, you know, obviously open source uh, projects. We looked around at a bunch of different projects. We whittled it down to a very small handful. And um, Solar uh, was, was one of the uh, most obvious choices. And at the end of the day, uh, became the choice that we made. So Apache Solar and Apache Lucene. Uh, it didn't hurt that uh, Doug Cutting, who works for, for Cloudera, uh, was also the one of the original founders of Lucene at Apache. So uh, that didn't that didn't hurt either. Um, and we talked with a few folks. We were able to uh, interest Mark Miller, who's one of the primary contributors, not the only, but one a big contributor to Solar uh, upstream, very knowledgeable on Lucene. We were able to convince him to to come to Cloudera. So he he's on my team. So I'm I'm the technical lead and the manager for both the Cloudera search as well as the uh, the, the Zookeeper projects inside inside Cloudera. So we were able to attract Mark. We have another committer, Wolfgang Horshek, uh, from Lucene Solar uh, Land. And uh, that was kind of the kernel for our original team. Greg Jannon, who is a committer on HBase, joined our, our team a little bit later. So we were able to take, you know, build on, on some excellent folks, uh, some, you know, attract some great talent, and take that uh, Lucene Solar core base and enable that within the Hadoop environment. And that was that's kind of how we got started. That's how the two things link together. All the work that we've done on Clutter Search has all been contributed back upstream in one form or another. So we contributed a number of changes back to uh, Lucene and, and Solar itself. And um, there's some other projects that we have contributed to as well, but uh, that's one of the other things. The other, the other aspect of that is that um, Doug and I uh, we're also uh, mentoring the Apache Blur project, which is a project under incubation right now at Apache uh, in the incubator. Um, that was basically the first project to try to run search on top of HDFS directly, meaning that the indexes themselves for the search engine were actually stored in HDFS directly. So uh, Aaron McCurry there, who kind of started that project, we worked with him to, to, to uh, you know, we're mentors for that project at Apache. What are some of the benefits of uh, these updates that have gone into Solar and bringing it together with Hadoop uh, and uh, the Hadoop ecosystem? Is it running Solar on Yarn? Is it you know more more uh, complex than that or different? Um, can you talk a little bit to the different benefits and the other type of systems that uh, start to get affected by this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we wanted to, like I said, enable people who were already using Hadoop take advantage of these search capabilities. And we wanted to do it in a way that didn't require you to set up two clusters, right? So our, our users or our customers, uh, one of the reasons why they like to uh, use Hadoop, why they like to use CDH, uh, Cloudera's distribution for Apache Hadoop, is that they get a whole bunch of different capabilities on a single cluster. I mean, they don't need to go set up multiple things. They don't need to, for example, set up a Hadoop cluster, and then set up a separate search cluster. So that was one of the biggest things, is that we took the search capabilities and we integrated it directly into the Hadoop uh, ecosystem. So that if you had a Hadoop cluster, you could turn on search and start taking advantage of the capabilities as part of the same cluster. So one of the first things that we did, and, and this is something that was kind of uh, originally thought, of, uh, thought out by the Blur folks, is that the indexes themselves for, for Lucene that are managed by Solar are actually read and written directly to HDFS. 
So we don't use like a local file system. We don't copy files around. There were there were some ideas in the past of like using MapReduce jobs to uh, generate indexes, and then you'd copy those. I think uh, Kata was was one of the original projects to kind of do that, so that you could you know do offline processing uh, using MapReduce to generate new indexes, and then kind of take your cluster down, update the indexes, and uh, bring back your search cluster. So we wanted to make it more seamless than that. So what we do is we store the indexes directly in HDFS. So when they're written originally, when they're read, uh, when they're read by the solar service, they're accessed directly on top of HDFS. And that gets, gets us some great capabilities. The other aspect of this is once the indexes live in HDFS, you can do some other pretty cool things. One of the features that we developed and, again, contributed back to the open source community uh, was something we call Go Live. So we have uh, a MapReduce job that we developed to do the indexing operations. So if you have a bunch of information that's stored in HDFS, you can run this indexing job, and the indexing job uh, using MapReduce writes the information directly, the indexes back to uh, HDFS directly. And this Go Live feature then allows us to take those new indexes that have just been created uh, through Map, uh, MapReduce job and merge them directly into a live uh, serving solar cluster. So if you have a solar cluster that's running and you have users running queries, if you want to run a MapReduce job, say, every day or every hour, you could go ahead and do that. And using this Go Live feature, it merges it seamlessly into your existing solar cluster, your existing collection indexes, et cetera. And your, your users now suddenly see you know, new results or additional results coming up uh, as part of their queries. Um, I'll also mention, I mean, I've talked about solar and Lucene. We're actually basing our stuff even one le le level higher on top of the Apache, uh, Lucene, and Solar components. So we actually base everything on Solar Cloud, which is the distributed component aspect of, of Solar. So Lucene is providing the uh, indexing and query libraries. Solar provides essentially a web interface on top of that and management of the indexes. And then Solar Cloud allows you to shard all of your services so that if you have a very large corpus, so if you have a large number of documents in HDFS, they may not all fit within a single solar server, uh, within a single Lucene index. So you're able to shard uh, using Solar Cloud, and now you have a distributed system um, that is you know, providing that search capability, which, by the way, is using Zookeeper for the <laughs> nice aspect of it. Is it's actually using Zookeeper for the coordination uh, amongst the various services. So in addition to the MapReduce capabilities, and MapReduce is really nice, right? Because let's say you have a solar service that, you know, a solar cloud service that is, you know, three shards, right? Because you have 100 million documents, whatever the case may be, you're sharding it across three solar servers, and you want to re-index your corpus, your, your documents for some reason. Let's say you've got a huge number of new documents. Right? You, you acquired a new company, you're trying to integrate their capabilities, their data into yours, you might get a huge drop all at once. You might want to re-index because you changed the schema. This is a very common use case where people thought you know, that three fields was sufficient in their solar schema. Now they decided, oh, for those 100 million documents that we have, uh, we want to have 10 fields instead. So in that case, you need to re-index all the documents. If you only have three solar servers, 
that are serving that particular collection or that particular corpus of documents, you only can scale your indexing operation across those three machines. If you're using MapReduce, you can, let's say you have a 100 node or a 1,000 node, uh, whatever the case may be, MapReduce cluster, um, you can actually scale your indexing operation across all of the slots in the MapReduce uh, cluster that you have. So if you have uh, an extraction and indexing operation that might take, you know, tens or, you know, multiple hours on a solar cluster, it might take a considerably less amount of time on a MapReduce cluster because you're able to linearly scale that operation across all the slots, which you wouldn't be able to do with a, a typical solar cluster. So that's yet another benefit of the integration between of, of search and, and Hadoop. So you've got the MapReduce side. We have also also have integration uh, with Flume uh, as well as HBase. So Flume gives you the near real-time search capabilities. So I've talked a little bit about sort of the batch indexing side of things. Um, so if you're using MapReduce, that's more of a batch operation. Although you could potentially run your jobs you know, very frequently, uh, it wouldn't be sort of up to the second. If you want to do what's called near real-time indexing, which is where, where when new documents are coming in, um, let's say you're getting log events and you want to provide those to your support team, um, you know, as soon as they come in, you know, every five seconds the index is being updated, let's say, so that you're always seeing everything up to the last five seconds. Uh, that's what's called near real-time indexing. We support that as well as, you know, that's a capability of solar and solar cloud and something that we expose for our users as well. And um, we have integration with Flume so that if you're collecting events through Flume, we've implemented a Flume solar sync, essentially, uh, that allows you to take the new, uh, the new events that are coming into Flume and directly index, it, index them. And we have, uh, as I mentioned, we have the MapReduce side of things for HDFS. We have the Flume side for the near real time. We have comparable facilities on the HBase side of things as well. So you can run a MapReduce job that will index your HBase tables and insert that information into uh, a solar leucine index. Uh, and we also have near-real-time capabilities. So we have a partnership with NGData, with the folks who created the Lily. And we worked with them to provide a capability of taking the, -real, taking the changes that are happening in HBase, so if you're adding rows or updating rows, and we can index those in near real time as well. So we're allowing you to look at your data. If it's in HDFS, we're allowing you to look at your data in HBase, either in batch or near real time, um, in addition to storing the indexes in, in HDFS itself. So those are kind of some of the biggest sort of, sort of benefits, um, at least today, uh, with, the, with the Hadoop ecosystem integration. Can you speak a little bit more to the uh, MapReduce aspect? Is it just some pig scripts? Is it just a can jar file that you just run? Is it an API? Like, what what would a developer have to do to want to go and use that mechanism to do the re-indexing and such? Yeah, that's a that's another uh, good question. We wanted to uh, make a something that wouldn't necessarily re require you to write a bunch of code. Um, so. If you look at the users, uh, you know, the different types of users that you typically have on a Hadoop cluster, you have your Hadoop administrators, you have sort of your data wranglers, the data, the people who actually sort of on a day-to-day -day basis manage the, the collection of data and exposing it to users. And then you have your users at various levels. 
Um, we didn't want to require you to have like a bunch of developers on staff in order to, you know, take advantage of these capabilities. So to, to answer your question, on the MapReduce side, we actually created a MapReduce job. So it comes as a job jar, you know, to dash jar, the job jar file, just like usual, uh, like you would expect. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tool and it has a bunch of command line options to basically point it at a location in HDFS. So you could say, you know, here's a directory with a bunch of files in it. Maybe log files. It might be uh, patient records, whatever the case may be. You can you can take that MapReduce job, point it at the at the files that you have in HDFS. It'll scan through the directories that you pointed at, try to find the files, and then it will run the indexing job and create uh, the new indexes. And like I mentioned, we have this go live feature, which because we're using Zookeeper, uh, it's able to figure out that oh, you want to update collection, you know, patient records collection. And because I know how to talk to Zookeeper and I know what Solar is, I could figure out what that means behind the, you know, behind the covers. So I can run the MapReduce job and then I can run Go Live to merge the resulting index directly into that, into that collection as I described before. So it's, it's a command line tool. Um, the other thing that we, we created as part of this project I didn't mention before is something called MorphLines. So MorphLines is currently uh, available as part of the CDK, the, the Cloudera CDK, and it's a it's a Java library, and it allows you to configure a bunch of transformations similar to it's called MorphLines. It's similar to uh, a Unix pipeline, and the idea being that you get some sort of input record or input file, and you want to do some transformations on it to get it into a form that can be indexed. So if you have a solar schema, if you're familiar with, with solar, uh, you need to provide a schema that says, you know, have these fields, and the fields are strings or integers or whatever the case may be. And you want to be able to do that translation really easily. So you don't have, want to have to, for example, write a bunch of code, like a mapper like you described, or, or something like that, a bunch of Java code to say, take these patient records and convert them into a form, or take this CSV file or this text file, et cetera and convert it into a form that I can put into solar. So we have this MorphLines capability that we integrate across the board. So it's available in MapReduce, it's available in the Plume solar sync that I described before, it's available in the, the work with, that we did with ng-data. So all the tools that we've created all integrate MorphLines. It allows you to, through configuration, specify how to map the input records into your solar schema. So you're able to like I said, run this tool and point it at your solar cluster. You're able to point it at the input documents, and through this MorphLines configuration file, you're able to describe how to translate it between the, you know, between the two really easily. So you don't end up having to essentially write any code. And in some cases, you write a very, very simplistic MorphLines file. So we have Avro integration, for example, and if uh, in MorphLines. So if you have an Avro file, it's self-describing. When you run the MorphLines, there's very little to do there. Uh, to map that Avro formatted file into your into your solar schema. So again, it's it, you know, this just highlights the fact that you know we're trying to take advantage of everything that you're already familiar with in the Hadoop e ecosystem. And if you're taking advantage of best practices, for example, like using Avro for files at rest, data at rest, uh, it gives you a great way to leverage all that work that you've already done uh, to you know 
with as little work as possible, and it does take some amount of work, um, but with as little work as possible, I expose that to, say, the rest of your company uh, via a search interface. And, and I know from working with a lot of CXOs, you know, the CXO, you know, they may have heard about MapReduce, they probably have heard about SQL, but everyone knows how to search for things, you know, and they know that their organization knows how to search for things. So it just becomes a very, very powerful uh, capability just from a, you know, kind of a grokking perspective. You know, they're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I'm storing all this data in, in Hadoop, and through a, a pretty minimal amount of work, I can expose that through a search engine. Yeah, they're like, yeah, I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. And our CM integration, so Cloudera Manager, so here, here at Cloudera, uh, we've also integrated the solar cloud, uh, solar, et cetera, everything I just described into Cloudera Manager. So if you're already using Cloudera Manager, it's literally as straightforward as you know, pressing a button saying, I want to go deploy uh, search into my existing Hadoop cluster. And then you know, there's a little bit more work to um, say, okay, I have you know, CSV files or I have Avro files. Uh, let me run this MapReduce job to go index that into, the, into that cluster that I just set up. But it's, it's pretty straightforward uh, to get rolling. And especially if you're familiar at all with solar, which is, again, another reason why we chose Apache Lucene and solar is because so many companies are either already running solar internally or they have people who have run it in the past who work for them. So I don't think there's been a customer yet that I've gone to and said, like, you know, hey, we have Apache Solar, and they're like, hey, you know, what's, what's Apache Solar? They already are, you know, pretty familiar with solar. And because we have all the, you know, we don't change any of the APIs. So if you're using Cloudera Search, it's all standard Lucene and solar. I mean, it is running on top of HDFS or, or whatever the case may be. So as I described before, new capabilities, but all the existing capabilities that you had before, like the solar API, the solar client interfaces, all those are exactly the same. So if you have your own application internally today that runs against Apache Solar or Apache Solar Cloud, you literally just point it at Cloudera Search with, you know, with, the, with the collection or the index set up um, uh, in Cloudera Search, and it runs exactly the same. So if you have an application that runs today on top of Apache Solar, you can plug it at Cloudera Search with no changes. And, um, you know, just it'll just work because we, you know, we literally are taking upstream solar, any changes that we make, we're contributing back to upstream solar. But we haven't changed anything from, like, a, a user interface perspective. Uh, that's great from an adoption, uh, adoption hurdle removal. Uh, I had two quick questions about the Avro storage file and the indexing. Does, is that for any nesting of Avro schemas? Uh, so kind of really whatever your Avro schema and data is effectively, like it could work um, with any set of nesting structures. And then two, um, how does that impact the actual Avro storage file? So is the is every single schema, is every single um, binary in the Avro file the same schema and that schema is held in a header. So can you explain a little bit on the nesting side? Because that's I've always kind of seen that sometimes with issues in different parts of the Hadoop ecosystem. It's like, oh, we support Avro files, but it has to be two-dimensional, <laughs> right? Or, yep. yeah. yeah. Or, and then also talk a little bit about just the file structure in general for folks, because I think uh, there's been a lot of misunderstanding with Avro over the years. Like, wait, you ship the schema, you're no better than XML, and just not understanding how it's structured and working. So maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, Avro is is really interesting because it 
is a self-describing sort of, as you alluded to, it is a self-describing file format. So Avro itself is, a, you know, for people who don't know, is an Apache project. Uh, it's uh, today it's an, a, a top-level Apache project. Again, another project from uh, from Doug Cutting. Um, I, I have a little bit more background than, than most people in Avro as well because I was actually at Yahoo uh, when Doug was originally working on the the sort of the conceptualizing what Avro was was going to be. We were developing that at Yahoo to allow us to better store information and better. It's not just like you know. It's kind of like when you're you know there's this old saw right that when you're writing code you're not writing code for the compiler. You're writing code for the guy who's going to come after you and, and have to maintain it, right? So writing it in a clear, concise way and putting documentation in there that allows the next person who comes after you to, to, to maintain it uh, is a huge part of writing code, similar for storing data. What we were seeing is that people were writing a whole bunch, you know, you've got this huge file storage, right, with HDFS, great, great playground. You can drop anything in there. But the problem is, as soon as you drop it in there, you know, next week, are you going to remember the format that you had, you know, file foo x157, right? You're probably not going to remember. And there's huge, you know, terabytes, petabytes of information being dumped into HDFS every day. So it caused a lot of problems just with keeping track of the data and, and being able to use it later. It's a header that provides a schema for the rest of the file. And the, re and the rest of the file is highly compressed. So there's a bunch of techniques and optimizations that are being done under the covers. It's not a columnar file storage format, so, so it's not taking advantage of those kinds of things. Um, uh, like Parquet today is, is adding uh, columnar file storage format, so it's not able to do that. But many of the other techniques for, for data at rest storage, it is trying to do. So it's it, it has some small, somewhat negligible, you know, if you've got a reasonable amount of data in the file, uh, uh, header at the very beginning that describes what the binary format is like. And that allows you to let, write the file out to the file system and then come back at any point in the future and say, you know, hey, what was the format of that data that we wrote out to the uh, to the cluster? So the, the schema is stored at the header of the file, and that will describe the file. So now when you're reading the information, you can use that schema that's at the header of the file to uh, read back the information. So you don't need to know uh, what the format was because it's stored in the file. Right? So you come back later, you read the Avro file, you can you can see all the information. So Joe, as you described, Avro has quite a few capabilities. One is that it allows arbitrary nesting, so it has various data types, and allows arbitrary nesting of the information uh, stored within the file. So you can have multiple records, and the records can have arbitrary nesting. So now when you want to index that information, what happens? Great question. So the Morphlines, so this library that we developed called Morphlines as part of CDK, has a whole bunch of different commands. Again, it's very similar to kind of like Unix pipelines where you can, you can assemble a pipeline. And one of the commands that is available in Morphlines is the ability to read an Avro file. And it takes advantage of that schema that's at the beginning of the file. So it will read the file, it will figure out what the schema is, and it will generate that information. Now, part of the uh, configuration of that command in the Morphline configuration that you're going to specify is to describe how to 
sort of unpack, if you will, or how to access that nested information. So if you have like, you know, a.b.c and a or in that C field is something that you want to expose through uh, the search engine, Morphline configuration that specifies that. So let's give it a little bit more concrete example. So let's say that you had, um, uh, let's say an email message and you had a to, a from, a subject, and a body, and maybe you had some attachments. You might encode that in an Avro file as multiple Avro fields, like a to, a from, a subject, a body, and some attachments. And that attachment might have, um, it's set, you know, that might be sort of a nested aspect. So it could be like the file name, it could be the date of the file, it could be the contents of the file. So in that morph line, you could specify, let's say that we want to pull out the file name. We don't care about anything else. So the morph line configuration is where you're going to do that mapping and where you're going to be able to go through that nesting and say, I want to extract uh, out that capability. It gets more sophisticated than that as well. So if you want to uh, flatten things, it has something called a flatten command. So it gets, you know, it's probably best to look at the reference documentation just to get a little bit more insight um, into that. But it, 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 the, the docs do a good job of kind of describing how all that happens. Um, but you're able to flatten things. There's a few different commands in that uh, in the morphine itself. So, for example, flatten things, or you can pull out just the specific fields that you want to pull out. But again, you're going to be doing that mapping between your input record, which in this case is going to be an Avro record, uh, into your solar schema, so what your document fields are, uh, using that, those morphines. That's basically how it works. That sounds uh, pretty cool. I'd uh, be interested. I'm going to check it out to see if Morphline, uh, how that works with the Parquet format as well, so that you can take complex objects and loop and flatten them into Impala. Sounds, uh, sounds like a pretty exciting project all into itself. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really neat. And this idea of, you know, you have some, you know, taking sort of this Unix pipeline approach to the, to the problem actually works out really nicely because it gives you that ETL kind of pipeline. Um, and what we're seeing is that customers, you know, they, they can pretty easily get the uh, solar cloud clusters set up. And they can pretty easily set up the collections. It's really the data management part of it where people have a lot of questions. And, and Morphlines is a huge part of, um, you know, what people are interacting, or at least the people who are you know, capturing the data and making it available for people to search. They're spending a lot of time with more fun. And it gives them a consistent way, the same way how, you know, Azkaban and Uzi came out, you know, years ago for managing the batch processing. You know, now there are kind of tools that are popping up to manage, you know, more of the stream processing as well. So this is, uh, this is a nice, uh, nice tool. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about some of the operational pointers and getting started with Solar on Hadoop? Is it just upgrading and downloading and hit button or, you know, what, what's involved in it running and such? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, it'll really depend, you know, if you want to try it out from the upstream Apache solar perspective or if you're using things from a cloud era perspective. So if you're using it from a upstream perspective, you, know, you do what you typically do, right? So you're going you're gonna to get a new cluster set up. You're going to get, you're going to uh, download solar. You're going to build everything and, and you know, create the job jar and, and let's say you start off with the, with the MapReduce side of things. Um, so there's a little less hand-holding there probably. You probably have to do a little bit more. If you get started on the Cloudera search side of things, as I mentioned, we have Cloudera Manager integration. 
So if you already have a, a um, if you already have a Hadoop cluster, we introduced Cloud Era Search in the CDH 4.4 timeframe. So if you have a CDH cluster that's 4.4 or later, including CDH 5.0, you already have the search capabilities. So search was distributed separately as part of uh, from sorry, it was distributed separately from CDH 4, but it's part of CDH 5. So it's not like it's a separate um, download or anything like that. It, and it, like I said, it's integrated into Cloud Air Manager. So it's literally, you know, you press a button to uh, go ahead and install Solar onto some number of your of your cluster machines. And that'll provide the Solar Cloud capabilities. Once you have that, we provide a bunch of documentation to help you along the way. So there's a bunch of documentation on the CM side of things. But that is fairly straightforward as I described. Uh, we have a bunch of other documentation, including some tutorials, to get you started with the various use cases that I described earlier. So if you want to get started with MapReduce, if you want to get started with Plume, HBase, we have tutorials for all those things as part of the CDH documentation. And we, are, we also have like a command line tool uh, to easily set up the collections and um, you know, get the basic configuration that, that you need for that. To, to get the search collections created. So that's probably the easiest way to get started. We recently really, uh, announced, slash release, I guess not released, because it's not a separate downloadable, but we re recently released, or, sorry, announced Cloudera Live, and that's a site that you can go to and just try all this stuff out, and it includes Cloudera Search. So, and it has some example uh, data already in it. So if you want to search tweets, if you want to search other kinds of information, there are some sample collections uh, as part of that. Joe, have you seen Cloudera Live? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm actually going there right now. Taking it yeah, out. so if you search for Cloudera Live, it probably, uh, I haven't tried it recently, but uh, if you search for that, uh, probably one of the first things I seem to come up with be the Cloudera Live site. And you can just go there and, you know, within seconds, be trying all, all the, um, at least on the search, the, the search side of things, maybe not actually looking at things like that. Uh, but you can try it out. Now, this is all through Hue. Uh, Part of what they did is they integrated Cloudera Search as one of the applications of Hue. So that's been available since our, our initial GA release. And that's allowing users to run searches against Cloudera Search in a very easy and easy to understand, very comfortable way. So it provides a GUI. And it's very similar to what you would expect from a regular search GUI. So if you're familiar with Google or LinkedIn search or Amazon search, uh, it's essentially the same type of interface. In the search box, you type in search, you see some results. We pro we're providing Cloudera Search as a, as a tool, right? Like it's not a vertical out-of-the-box solution. So you're going to build it around whatever information that you're collecting and you want to be able to search on. So Hue, the search application in Hue, is fully customizable. So if you have tweets, you can customize the Hue search app for tweets. If you have log events, you can customize the Hue search application for log events. And then your users, who are going to use that essentially portal, the search portal, will see what they would expect. So if they search for tweets, it's going to look very similar to uh, the results that you see when you search on Twitter. Right? If you don't like those results, you can change it. That's actually one of the tutorials, one of the examples that we provide uh, as part of Cloudera Search. So if you go look at our documentation, 
one of the examples that we have is indexing tweets. And we show you, for example, with Flume, how to hook up to the Twitter firehose and actually put that into your into your cluster. So then you can set up queue, again, part of the tutorial, to start, start starting, searching those tweets. And you'll be searching in near real time. So that expo that basically is uh, you know exploring that whole near real time search capability, and you can do that pretty quickly. You set up your cluster, you set up you know, hopefully you have an account already at Twitter. If you don't, it's pretty easy to set one up. Uh, you point Flume at the firehose at the API that Twitter provides, and you get something like 100 tweets per second or so. And you can actually then search the tweets in near real time, and within a few seconds you'll see things that people are posting on Twitter show up in your search engine. So it's a great way to show that near-time search capability with real data. So rather than sort of having canned fake data, we actually allow you to hook up to a real data source and try that right out of the box. And Clutter Alive, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, essentially has a very similar kind of, kind of setup where it has some different collections of different kinds of data. And you can explore that. The key aspect to that is that you, the the end user, the person who installed Collider Search, who installed Hue, can go and customize that however you like. So you can customize it fully for your data and for your users uh, without you know writing a bunch of code, without you know, um, you know without us getting involved essentially. There's a user interface for doing that customization, and it takes advantage of all the capabilities that Solar provides you. So faceting, which is a huge, you know, that's one of the the things that our customers really, really like. I mean, they, they kind of expect the search capabilities. But being able to do faceting, which is, which is often called refinement. So if you're familiar with uh, LinkedIn and Amazon search, if you, if you do a search for a product on Amazon, on the left-hand side, it'll say, you know, do you only want to see products that cost less than $100, or do you want to see products that cost between $100 and $200, or things that cost more than $200? That's what's called faceting. And we provide that capability as well. And it's fully integrated into the Hue application. There's a whole bunch of other capabilities of uh, Solar that are also exposed through, through Hue, but that's one of the one of the more popular ones. There's highlighting and a few other capabilities. Um, but we expose all that, the great features of Solar, uh, through that search application. It provides a great portal for your users. So if you're you know, if you're the Hadoop administrator and your you know your company is storing a bunch of photos. And you're wondering, you know, how do I let people search for photos inside our company? You can use this Hue search app to expose it to anyone essentially in the company. And they're going to be familiar. It's not going to be like some special command line tool. It's not going to be a bunch of code that you have to write. It's going to be just a very familiar kind of GUI uh, to you know 90% of the people in your company, you know, who maybe don't even know what Hadoop is. But now you're able to expose that data that you're storing in yet another way, a very approachable way. Well, thank you for your time today, Patrick. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great uh, coming in and, and talking with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and, and your listeners.